Weird Train. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to The Weird. I am one of your hosts, and my name is Dan. I'm your other host, and my name is Riley. Hey, Riley, are you aware if we have a producer on this show? I don't know, Dan. Let's look in the telling tree. I'm Bonnie, the producer. This is the most magical day ever. Oh, we are going to have so much fun discovering so much about deadly curses. Is that your topic? That's the topic today. Deadly curses. I'm going after, yeah, and then not just one. I, I actually would like to explore several today. And I thought, what's a topic that would really cheer up uh, a family that's maybe under duress? And specifically, what's a topic that kids might like to listen to? Deadly curses. You know, those things that you can't escape that you will die from. Uh, how, how is everybody doing today? I'm great. I'm eating watermelon. It's so good. I'm, I'm, I'm doing great, too. I have a cup of water here. That's what I'm... Uh, Are you in prison I'm, again? Sometimes I feel like it. Yeah. Are you doing some kind of Bible thing? That's not a cup of water. That's a glass. Well, that's what I meant. I just had a tortilla with hummus and salad. It was very good. Was that your supper, Bonnie? That was my supper tonight, yes. I'm so sorry. I do want to bring this up that you mentioned last week about the uh, the Bell Witch the fact that people are sometimes taking things away from the old the homestead, site? the site, and that it's kind of not a good idea, right? Because they they might be cursed and bad things might happen to you. Mm-hmm. Well, that's interesting that you, that you mentioned that because that's one of the things that I want to talk about. For real, I want to talk about curses and, and all, there's a lot of different forms that you're well, – did you just give me the evil eye? You just gave me the evil eye, Riley. No, I held up my watermelon. He put his watermelon in front of his face. Which is a form of cursing. Jinxed. What I think is interesting about this show, you went back 200 some years with our last episode. And this episode, we're going back thousands of years in some cases. And this is something, a phenomenon that is not new and is still prevalent today. Have you ever felt cursed Either of you? No, I don't know anyone that would curse me. Well, it's not so much that you feel like you've been cursed, but you feel maybe like you've had a steady stream of bad luck, perhaps. I find that sometimes that does happen, that you just have that week where everything is just gray, you know? (laughs) Or there's that um, bad things come in threes, right? Like sometimes you'll have a week and you'll just go, okay, what's the next thing that's going to go wrong? Isn't that strange? Because I've had that a number of times in my life where things travel in threes. I remember uh, there being a period in my, I must have been 19, I was 19. It was first year of university. My car conked out while driving on uh, the highway. I had to use the emergency brake. Oh, and that same car caught fire. The engine caught fire. My dog passed away that week. And I broke up with my girlfriend all of like five years, all in all in the span of a few days. It was very odd. Well, you know, I took a myth course in university and we spent like a folklore myth course. And we spent a whole probably three weeks dealing with the idea of the three 
the Trinity, the triad. Yeah. Because it figures so prominently yeah. in so many legends. The Holy Trinity, you know, the the three sisters, the three wicked sisters, you know, the three fates. Yes. There's so much to do with the number three. The three seasons. Yeah, what? <laughs> Nothing. All right. So, so what is a curse? There's a whole bunch of different kinds of curses, but essentially a curse is defined as an expressed wish that some form of adversity or misfortune will befall or attach to one or more persons, a place, or an object. In particular, a curse may refer to such a wish or pronouncement made effective by a supernatural or spiritual power, such as a god or gods, a spirit or a natural force, or else as a kind of spell by magic or witchcraft. And in the latter sense, a curse can also be a hex or a jinx. So in, and in many belief systems, the curse itself is uh, considered to have some causative force in the result. To reverse or eliminate a curse is sometimes called a removal or breaking as the spell has to be dispelled and is often requiring elaborate rituals or prayers. And those don't always work. So there's a, a number of very common types of curses. There's uh, the jinx, uh, which you would see in voodoo uh, practices. Uh, for example, they would put an object, a, a cursed object in the path of someone and someone walked by it, uh, then they could uh, they could become cursed. You see a, a lot of curses in Middle Eastern and Mediterranean culture. I mentioned the evil eye earlier, and that's sort of where that originates from. Uh, also, People like the Germans, who I believe we talked about last week, they had in within their culture and, and then brought that to the United States, people like the Pennsylvania Dutch, uh, the idea of hexes, putting a hex on someone, uh, which has a connection and a tie to witchcraft. As well, the, probably the, one of the biggest, biggest, biggest sources of curses that we know of are from the Bible. Right. If you think about all the different curses that are talked about, so uh, God cursing the serpent, the earth, Cain, Noah curses Canaan, uh, Joshua curses the man who would build the city of Jericho, etc. The ten plagues of Egypt, all of that stuff, and I, I there I could go on and on and on. Those are all examples of famous curses, and then you have you know family curses, families that have been cursed. For a long period of time, you have cursed objects, objects that for thousands of years have been a problem to the people that are in possession of them. So that's sort of what I wanted to do today is to go through some of these more famous ones and perhaps not easily explained by science or just by basic odds of these things happening. I'm excited. Let's do it. All right. So the very first one, and this is the one that I, I, as a child, always thought that this was fascinating. I had this beautiful book about Tutankhamun, and it was a glossy book, black. And Bonnie, I see you nodding your head. Did you have the same one? It had his face of his sarcophagus on the, on the front. Yeah. And I thought that that was so fascinating and so interesting and going through and there were pictures of the actual tomb and the treasure that was intact. And part of what made that discovery so important was the fact that it hadn't been robbed. Like it was an intact tomb, whereas in most other pharaohs that had their stuff taken. Add to that Indiana Jones, right, which came out in what, 80, 
84, 83, somewhere around there. And the the mythology that's explored in that Raiders of the Lost Ark, it was something that I always thought was so, so neat. So when I discovered at a fairly young age about the fact that there was a curse attached to the opening of this crypt, I became very intrigued. So I thought I'd start there. Cool? Very cool. In 1922, English explorer Howard Carter was leading an expedition funded by George Herbert, who was the fifth Earl of Carnarvon. That's a great name for an Earl, don't you think? Carnarvon. Yeah, it doesn't sound British. No, it sounds, well, it sounds like someone who should be exploring tombs in Egypt. When Carter discovered the tomb of the ancient Egyptian king, Tutankhamun, and all, as I mentioned earlier, the riches it held. After opening the tomb, however, strange and unpleasant events began to take place in the lives of those involved in the expedition. Some believe that there was a foreboding inscription which read, Death comes on wings to he who enters the tomb of a pharaoh. That curse was put on anyone who disturbed this final resting place of the boy king. Did you know that? That King Tut was a boy? I knew that. And, and badly disfigured. He was disfigured. I didn't know that. Yeah, he had... Uh, he had problems with his bones he walked they think with a limp and most likely had a cane he was the product if i'm not mistaken of a lot of incest right because they were sleeping with their 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 siblings because pharaohs were the you, you could only get a pharaoh from one stock which is from the gods and so they ha- they could only sleep with each other eventually that catches up with you yeah it's the it's the classical version of the appellations and oddly enough he played an early version of the banjo (laughs) ah you got me you made me laugh you bugger (laughs) all right so lord carnivon's story in particular is the most bizarre Uh, the adventurous earl came to cairo and apparently died from pneumonia following complications uh, from a mosquito bite so this is shortly after They've gotten into the uh, into the tomb. Allegedly, at the exact same moment, and I have to underline allegedly, uh, that Carnivan passed away, all the lights in the city mysteriously went out. And back in England, Carnivan's dog fell over dead. So I've read a few accounts of this. Apparently, his dog definitely died at the same time, whether it was the same exact same moment or several hours or it was really close to his could absolutely be a coincidence still a little weird so the very first entity or being to die was actually the canary uh, that they sent in to the tomb before human beings did some say it was eaten by a cobra which would be interesting because that was a symbol of egyptian royalty and perhaps it was uh tutankhamun in uh, a serpent form uh, but then other people are uh, I, that i was reading say no no that never actually happened it probably was just given away to someone or died of natural causes at some other point however it doesn't end there there were several other people involved with the expedition who died too including a gentleman by the name of wolf Joel, and I checked to make sure I had that right. It's not Joel Wolf, it's Wolf with two O's, Joel, who is a South African millionaire. 
And he was murdered a few months after his visit to the tomb. As well, a person by the name of A.C. Mace, uh, who was a member of Carter's archaeological team, he was killed by arsenic poisoning. As well, Carter's personal secretary was found smothered in his bed in 1929. And financier George J. Gould I died of a fever six months after visiting the tomb. And as well, a number of Carter's relatives died. So a whole bunch of people died in short order after this tomb was opened. What's kind of odd, though, is that Carter himself seemed to have escaped the curse. He lived till the age of 64 and died in 1939. So by no means did he die shortly after the opening of the tomb. Others have speculated that some of the deaths may be attributed to toxic molds or bacterias that were disturbed when the tomb was opened. But needless to say, while many people died and some of these deaths were certainly strange, there were a lot of other people that didn't die who visited the tomb. And certainly in recent history, there's been no one who seemingly has died of this curse. That being said, still kind of an interesting little little thing. I wanted to add, um, in 1979, the King Tut uh, exhibit toured North America. It came to Toronto uh, to the Royal Ontario Museum, and I went to see it. And I remember at the time, it was very, when you talked about the sarcophagus, the picture, I I had the magazine, everything. It was fascinating to see it. But that was the same year that the Mississauga train derailment happened, and they had to evacuate like 40,000 people or something ridiculous. No one died. But I remember at the time... People speculated, was that part of King Tut's curse, having the train derailment? I mean, again, but that was, I remember very distinctly, I was quite young, but I remember it being covered that way. It's like, ooh, is this part of the curse because we have the tour of King Tut exhibit in in Toronto? One of the things that we're going to see here with this episode is that all of these curses require a large number of coincidences to occur. And yes, you know, sometimes weird things can happen. It's possible, right? But it's still strange. It's weird when these things do. That's I, that's a really great story. Wow. Okay, so the next one that I wanted to bring up is the Curse of the Iceman. Are you familiar with this one? This is a more recent one, but its origin is thousands of years old. And it involves a mummy as well named Otzi. So Otzi was discovered in September of 1991 in the Otzel Alps in Italy. Otzi is a mummy of a man who is believed to have lived around 5,000 years ago, so in 3,300 BCE. A glacier formed around him and it uh, mummified his body, preserved his body. And they've been able to sort of tell through uh, autopsies, I guess that's still an autopsy even when you're several thousand years old, uh, that he died of exposure. So he didn't wasn't murdered or anything like that, but he died alone on that mountaintop. Maybe it's Gary from the Yuba County Five. They finally found him. But once unearthed, rumors of a curse surfaced too and grew stronger as people linked to him began to die, often in extremely violent accidents. All told, seven deaths have been tied to Otzi's uprooting, including forensic pathologist Rainier Hen, 
who was killed in a car accident en route to give a speech about the Iceman, mountaineer Kurt Fritz, who died in an avalanche, hiker Helmut Simon, who discovered the Iceman on a hike with his wife and later died after falling off a treacherous path, and Dieter Warneck, who headed the rescue team looking for Simon's body, who died of a heart attack just after Simon's funeral. So all these guys that were integral to the discovery of Utzi have all passed. Now, again, could be explained by the fact that look what they do. Like they're in the mountains, they're hikers, they're they're doing dangerous things. Mm-hmm. But to have young, relatively young men wiped out in such a short period of time is weird. I love the name Kurt Fritz. Every time you do a one of these, there's always a name that I'm obsessed with. I have Kurt Fritz. I just picture him, a little stick and a nice backpack, and he's just he's got it going on. He's a little jaunty toque. He would be very handsome, I think. Too. Yeah, Kurt Fritz. It sounds like he has a strong jaw. Yeah, broad shoulders, mm-hmm. a mesomorph. All right. So the next curse, this one is remarkable. It's Tecumseh's curse. Are you familiar with that? Or the the curse of Tip Canoe. Legend has it that Native American leader Tecumseh cursed William Henry Harrison after he and his troops won the Battle of Tip Canoe. The curse is a widely spread explanation for why, from 1840 to 1960, every single U.S. president elected or re-elected every 20th year has died in office. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah, I didn't really realize and it, it gets better. So here, here's the list of what happened. So William Henry Harrison was elected president in 1840. He caught a cold during his inauguration, which quickly turned into pneumonia. And then he died uh, in April of 1841 after only a month in office. Next, we jump to maybe the most famous assassination next to Kennedy was Abraham Lincoln. So he's elected in 1960 and re-elected four years later. Lincoln was shot on April 14th, 1865 and died the next day. So it wasn't 20 years, it was 25 years, but it was the same president, right? Which is how this works. James Garfield was elected president in 1880. Charles Gateau shot him in July, 1881. Garfield dies several months later from complications following the gunshot wound. So William McKinley was elected president in 1896 and then reelected in 1900. In 1901, McKinley is shot by a dude called Leon Zolgaz. I had no idea so many presidents were shot. And we're not done. Mm. All right, so then three years after Warren G. Harding was elected president in 1920, he suddenly dies of a heart attack or possibly a stroke while traveling in San Francisco, home of the San Francisco treat, Rice Roney. It's made another appearance. Good old Rice Roney that I've never had. So next is Franklin D. Roosevelt, who was elected president in 1932, but then he was reelected three more times, I believe. Isn't it, aren't you limited to two terms in the States? He made a special uh, allowance for it, and it was granted to him the ability to run again because of the war. Amazing. And everything that was going on. So he won in 32, then obviously in 36. And then I know he won his last term in 44. 
And then shortly after that, he had a stroke and died. He was the president with the fireside chats, right? He would do the famous fireside chats where he would talk to the people of America in a very sort of genial way. He's also in the musical Annie. He was he was the fa- yes, he was. He was the uh, father of America. And he personified that image of dad knows best. Yeah. And it was a very he was a very calming force at a very turbulent 15 years for that that country. Mm-hmm. Love him or, or, or hate him, he was a very powerful figure. So he dies uh, from a, uh, a stroke uh, in 1945. Now, next is John F. Kennedy. And we all know about his assassination in Dallas. Who or how or what actually happened? Who knows? But um, he's killed. And then, well, I just love how this ends. Ronald Reagan elected president in 1980, he's shot by an assassin in 81, but he survives. And they say that that's how the curse was broken. The fact that he was able to survive. I mean, next up would have been George W. Bush. And obviously uh, he escaped office without anything bad happened to him. So the curse, that curse is broken. Who was that guy? Was that Hinckley, wasn't it? Hinckley? Yeah, I believe that was the theme. So that is the what's known as Tecumseh's curse. You know, and if he had that power, boy, oh boy, that was some curse because it did a lot of damage to the United States for a long, long time. The next curse that I'd like to talk about is called, this is a bit of a, a curveball from the other ones that I've been talking about, but I think you both will be familiar with it, is the 27 Club curse. Yes. You know what I'm talking about? Never heard of it. The 27 Club is a curse that supposedly takes the lives of many talented artists at the age of 27. One of the great examples of that curse is Robert Johnson, who Eric Clapton is quoted as saying that he was the most important blues musician who ever lived. The great, the greatest blues musician. There's also a story, though, that Robert Johnson made a deal with the devil to uh, become as great as he was. And that when he died at the age of 27, it was the devil coming to have him pay up for making that deal. So some speculate that perhaps all these people that have died at 27, perhaps they made similar packs with the devil. The deal is you're going to be, you're going to be the top. You're going to be at the top of your game. You're going to be the greatest there, you know, there, there is at that time, but I have your soul and I'm going to take it when I want it. So other famous people that have died at 27, and there's a long list. If you go on Wikipedia and just search the names of the 27 Club, it's long. Uh, Brian Jones, uh, who was a founding member of the Rolling Stones, he died at the age of 27. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jim, Jimi Hen, uh, Hendrix and Janis Joplin in 1970, they're probably two of the biggest names. Jim Morrison the following year. Kurt Cobain joined uh, the club in 1994 and and i remember being really bothered by this one amy winehouse in 2011 also 27 years old and most recently this this one i found so tragic and sad as well because i liked him so much was anton yelchin who played um yeah um, chekhov in the new star trek movies who and his death was so weird it's an awful story it's awful yeah he was crushed by his car it's such a gross story in his driveway 
and I and I need to back up here and just say I'm not insinuating that any of these people made deals with the devil. That's just a theory out there. I don't support it. But it is strange that all these folks um, have have died at, at that age. Sorry, can I just make a comment? You mentioned Janis Joplin, and I just want to mention something here because I didn't know anything about her. It's not really my kind of music. It's I love the '60s, but in '70s, early '70s, but it's a little aggressive for me. But I read a really amazing article in Mojo about Janis Joplin. She was a really tragic person. Mm -hmm. Um, Her story is absolutely fascinating. The recording of her last album, the people that she was surrounded with who just, you know, just bled her dry. It's another story of somebody like Judy Garland, very innocent, being thrust into a a very greedy world and just being spit right out. I would urge anybody who, you know, wants a good story to investigate a little bit more about Janis Joplin. It's really eye-opening. Interesting. And listen to her live recording of Ball and Chain. It is like seven minutes of passion. It is amazing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, all you know, there's all these people that have died at 27. If you look at the actual statistics, there is no spike at 27, but it does remain a cultural phenomenon, and it is, you know, it it also speaks perhaps to to like kind of what you just mentioned, the lifestyle that either they choose or is forced upon them. We look at celebrities as leading the perfect life, the life that we all want to try to attain. They have wealth. Do they have power? Maybe, but maybe not. And the fact that it's not necessarily as ideal as we sometimes think it is. My friend Ross in England was telling me about the final days of Amy Winehouse. And she basically had to press on her 24-7. She couldn't escape them. They said that she would just like peer out of the curtains of her house and just she felt like she was a prisoner. Like, oh, my God, what kind of life is that? Who would want that? I'm assuming you didn't see it, but there's a fantastic documentary on Michael Jordan. I'm not a basketball fan, but it, this is such a f- phenomenal documentary. It was filmed, there, a film crew followed the Chicago Bulls in the 1990s for a season, but they came back and took that footage and interviewed all of the main players in that. And one of the things you see is how miserable Michael Jordan is. The only place he was really ever happy was on the court, either in practice or in games. But his life outside of basketball was horrible. And one of the problems was the media that hounded him. And he had no life. He was a prisoner. So are we ready for another curse? I'm always ready for a curse. I, and you, I've always known that about you. Mm-hmm. Like when I, before I met you, our mutual friend Jeff Lawson said, Dan, you got to meet this guy, Riley. He's always ready for a curse. And I said, well, I'm game on. And then we met. And here we are. We have a cursed friendship. (laughs) Very good. All right. So the next one is the curse of Timer. So Timer, or also known as Tamerlane, was a Turkle Mongol leader who established the Tumarid Empire. So uh, roots from the, uh, I believe, the Khan uh, line, like Genghis and Kublai Khan and all those guys. Uh, renowned as a military tactician whose exploits killed some 17 million people. In 1941, a gentleman by the name of Joseph Stalin, have you heard of him? Mm -hmm. He's not a gentleman, he's a douchebag, who was greatly impressed by Tamerlane's accomplishments, wanted to exhume his body, which they were into that stuff, right? Like Lenin was embalmed. and Is he still there, Lenin? Can you still see Lenin's body? 
Bonnie, while she's talking, while she's looking that up, you know what the best one is? Because you know, Evita was in a, a coffin that was had glass over top of it. Do you know her body? Dis- her body disappeared for like ever. What do you mean her body disappeared? Like the head was there? Le- Lenin is still on display. Yes. So this is just something that they were into. I don't know why. Catholics are into that too. The communists were not overly religious. In fact, didn't they sort of poo-poo the idea of spirituality and religion? Oh, yes. Definitely under communism. No, no. Yeah, it's it's the church is not, it's not part. I mean, it's very, it's very much a part of Russian life, but it's not part of communism and very much looked down upon. Yeah. He sounds like a guy who was very superstitious. So he, he gets uh, Tamerlane's uh, coffin. And when he does this, or it becomes known to the people in the area. It's in Samarkand, which is in now Uzbekistan. The people, the residents of that area are extremely alarmed, including the Muslim clergy of the area. And they really try to discourage uh, Stalin from doing this. Apparently, there's an inscription on Tamerlane's coffin, which reads, Whoever opens my tomb shall unleash an invader more terrible than I. Remember, Tamerlane killed 17 million people. What? 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 17 million people? Yeah, in in his military exploits. Of where? Where were they killed? In his bedroom. Oh, don't be that way. Where were they killed? Well, in the battlefield. Of what country? Well, I'm looking it up now. I have to, I don't know. I didn't do research on his military exploits. No, but 17 million? That would have been the population of the world then. It was 5, 5% of the world's population at the time. And that was just his military king. Yeah. So Persia, India, the Levant, which would be like where Iraq and Turkey and Syria are. So he just wiped out like generations. Yeah. He even tried to attack uh, the Ming Dynasty. He sounds like a fucking barrel of laughs. Well, he's a he's a he's a Mongol. That's what they did. They conquered. So he's like um he's like a what are those in Star Trek the Klingon? He's a Klingon. Yeah, he's a warlord. A warlord. So shortly after they open because they, they do take the the body. Uh, shortly after Hitler, you may have heard of him too. His troops invade Russia. And it's estimated that approximately 26 million people died as a result of that invasion. Stalin, because he was freaked out a little bit about the fact that, oh, maybe this was a bad thing to do. He actually ordered Timur's remains to be reinterred back in Samarkand in accordance with Islamic tradition. And shortly thereafter, the German army surrendered at Stalingrad, ending their campaign against the Russians. And I should note this, that the Battle of Stalingrad maybe was the single most important battle in all of the Second World War. At that time in the Second World War, there was only one front. So the Allies were still stuck in England and uh, the Germans could focus all of their energy on the Eastern Front. And they were extremely close to knocking the Russians out in that battle. And if they had, the Russians probably were done because they would have been able to take the Earl oil fields and all of those things. It was a pivotal, pivotal moment. And when they were able to push them out of the city and put them on their back foot, whole bunch of strange things happened, like b- bad weather and things like that, that essentially wiped out the entire Eastern Front Army that the Germans had. And essentially, they became just a, a very long retreat back to eventually Germany, where they lost. They never were able to push back to the East. So kind of interesting. I, I was just enraptured by your story because I know so little about history. And you know why I know so little about history? I know so little about history because history class 
class required you to memorize so many names and dates that it turned me. And so I never focused on the stories. I was just terrified by remembering because you had to bring them up on the, on exams, all these names Mm -hmm. and dates. And so they became meaningless to me. They were just things that terrified Mm -hmm. me. And so I have this aversion to history to this day because they never bothered to tell us the stories and get us engaged. They made us memorize stupid things. Two things that I, because I love history. I have a, an extreme passion for it. When I was a little kid, I was always completely enthralled with the idea that my grandfather had fought in a war and had seen action. He fought through Italy for the Canadian army. And in school, I remember I was at a school called Corpus Christi in downtown Ottawa. And they had a book there that was filled with pictures from the Second World War. And it explained what happened. But I was enthralled with the pictures. I loved looking at, I thought tanks and planes were neat, but I loved looking at the faces of the soldiers in those pictures. There was a a weird connection I had with those faces that these are people, these were real people and studying what they looked like. Follow that up with my experience with history in high school. One of my absolute favorite teachers I ever had, his name was Craig Milne. And what he did, instead of sitting in your rows of desks, and I took them every year I could. So grade 10 right through back then high school went to grade 13. Our our classes took place in the library. Oh. So he taught us how to research. Whenever you would do your research, you either had to debate or we had to do presentations. And you would listen to other people's presentations. And he would sort of explain how to tell stories. And even started to delve into like primary source research. Don't just take other people's words for it. So it was awesome. I had a, I was very I feel very fortunate to have had that experience because that the one you described, Riley, is all too common. Oh yeah, it's the high school like what, you know name the year and the general that did this. That I, I had a similar experience to uh, to Dan. I I loved history uh, always, and I mean I didn't mind mind the dates uh, too much myself, but I love the storytelling. And in grade seven or grade eight. I had a teacher, uh, Mr. Binkley, mm-hmm. and <laughs> I remember very distinctly, we were doing the Plains of Abraham, and he had the girls be the English and the boys be the French. And behind our school, there was a little creek, and then there was a bit of a hill and a flat parking lot behind a church. Yep. And so he had the, the boys go up to the top. They were the French, and they had someone being Montcalm. And then the girls were, and he had us go up the the cliffs of the plains of, you know, up to the plains of Abraham. Wow. And uh, we did the formation of the double, you know, the double line that the British used. And, you know, he said, oh, if you, you know, if you're shot, you have to fall down. And we, so, I mean, I remember that from grade seven or eight because it was so visceral. We actually reenacted it, you know. I got to do the same thing on the plains of Abraham. We had a class trip in grade six. Yeah. And you, you never forget. You never forget that. And in grade nine, um, I remember our, one of our assignments was to interview someone uh, about their experiences in the past. And I still have this essay that I wrote when I was in grade nine. Uh, so whatever, 13 years old. And I interviewed my grandmother about the Depression mm-hmm. and my aunt about World War Two. Mm-hmm. And my grandmother talked about my grandfather delivering bread. And he was a he was actually a piano tuner. But he he, you know, he had to take this job because it was the only way he could feed his family. And I mean, it's just great to have that. I love you guys. <laughs> I'm just going to add, though, too, before Dan, Dan continues, Riley, you were surprised at Tamerlane's 17 million. And, and uh, Dan's been also talking about Stalin. Um, and actually, Stalin 
some people attribute up to 20 million deaths during Stalin's reign. We are such a crappy race. Dan, you, you're a history buff. Do you know where I'm from, right? Like, I'm from Concord, Massachusetts, the shot heard around the world. It's where the revolu- first revolution started. Right. Old North Bridge, like yeah. Wright's Tavern, was like three blocks from my house. My mm-hmm. small town is the most steeped in early American history you can possibly have. The Tea Party, all of that, it's all that area. And, and when you were in school, they didn't immerse you in that and allow you to feel well, that? you're American, so you're immersed in it anyway. But... Um, one yeah. teacher. It's always one fucking teacher. There's always one bright light, right? <laughs> one teacher, one year, made us for our final assignment. Instead of giving us some goddamn essay to write or some stupid exam to stress out about, <laughs> you shouldn't be stressing out about exams when you're 13. You should not. It's no. a stupid time to be worrying about shit like that. Um, he gave us a treasure hunt. We had to find all of these places of historical significance in the town and he just gave us a map, and then we had to sort of basically explain what they were and what they meant. I can say that in my time as an educator, some of my colleagues, some of the stuff, we could go, we could make a whole podcast just about this stuff. But some of the things I've witnessed some of my current colleagues do over the last 20 years blow would blow you away. The next curse, and at first I wasn't going to include this one, but I love it so much, is known as the crying boy curse. So the, the crying boy curse stems from a 1950s reproduction of Bruno Amadio's Crying Boy painting. The superstition goes that the picture of this mournful child causes fires. Whatever house this picture of this crying boy is in will burst into flames. And uh, the source of the story comes from an article in the tabloid paper, The Sun in London uh, from 1985, where a couple's house burned down, but the fire didn't burn the crying boy. So the house completely burnt down, but the crying crying boy was left completely intact. A local firefighter that noted that there were other fires that left only an undamaged crying boy painting in the house in London. So I, I'm I'm guessing that this 1950s reproduction was quite popular. I'm assuming it's sort of like those paintings maybe you find at Ikea that everyone has of like their dock. I'm looking at it right now. The crying oh, boy? It's so awful. It looks like something my grandmother would have had over her bed. Oh, and I'm, I, I know that my mother listens to this podcast, but my mom had a painting and a real painting, not like a, a reproduction of a, a clown in a, in a tub outside. Like in a bathtub? In an old claw bathtub. And he's got like the grease paint in his gloves, but he's naked under the water. And I believe my brother now has that painting. It probably is worth something. I don't know. It was a weird one. I never liked that one as a kid. I'm not even afraid of clowns. It was just maybe it's a maybe it's a Gacy. Yeah, maybe. So a guy uh, uh, by the name of Steve Punt, who's a British writer and comedian, he investigated the curse in a BBC uh, Radio 4 production called Punt P.I. And the conclusion of that program is that the, the prints were actually treated with a varnish that contained a fire retardant and that the string holding the painting to the wall would have been like the very first thing to sort of go up in smoke. And then the painting would have fallen flat onto the ground. So the fact that it was facing the ground and then it had this this varnish on it would have been the reason why the painting survived the fire. The unexplained thing is why did so many people with that painting have house fires? 
that's still strange and odd. Again, could be a coincidence. Who knows? But I will say this. There's no way in hell. Not just because it's an ugly painting. I should say ugly, but it's kind of creepy, I think. But I I don't know. Would you put that painting up knowing what it might be able well, to do? It's just ugly. I wouldn't have it in my house, but yeah. I don't know. I, You know, friends of mine, we've gotten together from time to time, and none of us will stand in a mirror and say Candyman three times. Just saying. For me, it was, it was uh, Bloody Mary. I didn't do Candyman as a kid. It was Bloody Mary, Bloody Mary, Bloody Mary, Mary, Bloody Mary, Bloody Mary, Bloody. But you had to do it in a mirror, and it had to be in the dark. Would you do it? I did as a oh, kid. Oh, God, Dan. That explains a lot. It was terrifying. At the time, I was sure that I saw bloody eyes coming for me. God. Yeah. All right. And now the last curse that I want to bring up. Is it the woman's curse? Is is the woman's curse. And <laughs> I just, you know, I do. I, I'm going to be honest. I'm endorsing a product here. Uh, it's always. <laughs> no. <laughs> the last curse that I want to bring up is my favorite All right. Well, you're going to like this one because it's silly and stupid, too. It's called the My Way Curse. So as in Frank Sinatra's My Way. Was that good? Was it? Well, the meters went way into the red. Good. So that song is believed to be cursed in the Philippines (laughs) because, because... Six people have been murdered while singing it at karaoke bars. While some of the murders were premeditated, one was because the victim was apparently singing out of key while another was supposedly hogging the microphone for too long. The curse of my way. I love that it's specific to the Philippines. Like only the Philippines. Everywhere else you're fine. There are the Philippines... Are Filipino people like really serious about karaoke? It sounds like it. I think a lot of uh, Asian countries are, aren't they? Like um, Koreans and um, in Singapore, Thailand. I think so. Well, I mean, karaoke is fun, Riley. You should try it sometime. I know you're not a very confident singer, mm-hmm. but you should uh, you should give it a go someday. I'll just I'll just break through that wall. Uh, that, that's it for all of the curses. I thought that one was a funny one. I don't have no idea why that one made it onto some of the lists that I was looking at because it's so ridiculous, but it's, it's interesting. And, and one of the questions that you can ask is why do people believe in curses? And I think it's because as humans, we seek to try to understand and rationalize, uh, or perceived patterns that maybe make our lives a little bit more difficult or maybe there's things that we have we see happen or have happened to us that are not decipherable using basic logic all right gang i think that's enough talk on all of this curse business i hope you enjoyed it as much as we did Uh, again remember you can uh, follow us on all the major social media platforms facebook instagram twitter myspace and now grinder and remember please feel free to reach out to us you can uh, do through do that through any of those platforms rate us on itunes or uh, spotify or whatever platform you're listening to the show uh if you enjoy it then um, then tell us that through a, a, a nice rating i am dan and i want to wish you a very good day my name's riley and i hope to see you again soon This is Bonnie. Have a great week, everyone. Bye. So long.
Thank <laughs> you.